Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on, man? Hello, Dimitri. I am going to make sure that I don't try to host the show today. I got a little grief on Twitter, and rightfully so, because every time I'm on, I always sort of hijack this thing. So I'm going to be a nice, well-behaved guest today. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I tweeted out earlier today to ask people uh, what they wanted to hear when when I had you on, and uh, you know, a lot of people said just let un- let Uncle Jeff talk, and uh, there was one guy who actually said uh, as if you get to talk when Jeff is on, which, which I thought was pretty funny. I, I think we have a pretty good back and forth going whenever I- you're on here, though, so I'm not complaining. Hey, I'm cool with it, but then again, I, I, I'm sure if you added up the words, um, I'm sure I might have like had my thumb on the scale. So um, I'll try to be a well-behaved, uh, good guest of the uh, the PDO cast today. But having said that, I promise nothing. Just be yourself, man. That's why uh, that's why we love having you on here. Um, so thanks, bud. When we were prepping for the show, you know, initially I wanted to talk a lot about. Um, the Claude Julian hiring by the Canadians yeah. and the Michelle Therrien firing. And I know that you and Greg did quite a bit of that today on, on, on your own podcast. So I don't really want to put you in a position where you have to just basically keep repeating yourself. I just recommend everyone goes and checks out your thoughts there. But I think we can spin it into a bigger discussion here where it seems like teams are uh, maybe just recency bias that we've had a lot of them happen in, 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 in a short order, but it seems like teams are more willing these days to change up things on the fly and maybe just kind of pin it on, pin any struggles they might have on their coach and try and replace it in, in the hopes of like rejuvenating their team as a whole. Cascading effect, right? Yeah. I believe that's, uh, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what it's referred to. Um, I mean, we've, we've seen it before. I remember when, uh, when Bruce Boudreau replaced Glenn Hanlon in Washington, um, and immediately, you know, turned around the Washington Capitals and everybody sort of dragging, you know, start, starting to have a look at their minor league coach. And you yeah, had that sort of cascade through the NHL. I remember, um, in 2005 when the, uh, the after the NHL lockout, uh, and they had a salary cap come in for the first time. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that there was a salary cap previous, but I'm not going to bore you with history. Uh, when the salary cap came in in the new era, uh, Pat Quinn made the point that this this salary cap is terrible for coaches mm-hmm. because when it becomes impossible to make trades, um, 
then the coach is going to get whacked because it's the most simple thing. It's the least, the path of least resistance. Can't make a deal. Let's just whack the coach. Let's just, you know, let's, let's just fire him and, 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 and take our chances there because making moves as a GM is, is next to impossible when you're, everyone's up against the cap and you have to measure out dollars for dollars, not just dollars for hockey players. I remember listening to that and I thought, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. That you know, it does sort of philosophically sound correct. I mean, Pat's a thumb on the on the pulse kind of guy, and I thought, well, I, I bet that ends up happening. And you know what happened, Dimitri? What? Same thing has ever happened before. Coaches were fired at the exact same rate. Now I haven't looked at it in a couple of years, but you know, going back two years, when you measure off, you know, how when coaches were fired, how many coaches were fired throughout the season and the off season as well, it's pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've seen before, this, uh, this is a copycat league and if it works for one team, you can sell that to your owner and it's sometimes it's just a justification that you need. Hey, look what Doug Waits doing with the Islanders. Why don't we try the same? Hey, look what Mike Yo is doing with the St. Louis Blues. Why don't we try coaching change? It's a good way to, you know, to, to, to jolt our team into victory and, uh, and it'll guarantee you some playoff dates. You like that, Mr. and Mrs. Owner? Of course they do. The interesting thing about Claude Julien to me there's a few things here um one of them montreal is in first place right like it's so seldom that you 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 fire a, a coach that's in first place um but has montreal been playing great hockey lately no but if you look at the you know generally the body of work and it's the atlantic you know carrie price hasn't been carrie price you could make the argument that things will turn around in montreal eventually but, I mean, you've directly replaced him with someone that was just fired last week, which does beg the question, if Claude Julien doesn't get fired from the Boston Bruins, Dimitri, hmm. do the Montreal Canadiens have a new coach today? Many, and I would probably put myself in this camp as well, would submit no. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. But I think, you know, we need to give uh, Mark Bergeron a bit of credit here because I, th- I do think that it was an upgrade for them. Um, I, I think... Claude Julien is yep. a fantastic coach, and Michel Therrien, you know, he ha- he has his flaws. I think some of his systems and maybe a tactical stuff is a, is a bit outdated. I can't really speak to the personal stuff behind the scenes, how he interacts with players. So I'm going to leave that completely out of it. Just based on what we're seeing on the ice, I think mm-hmm. it's an upgrade for them. And I think that you know it, it's tough. It's easy for us sort of to be armchair GMs out here and and to say that. You know, of course, of course, they should make this move, but it's like it's very tough when you're actually in it, dealing with the people to just like pull the plug on Michelle Terrian and just bring in a new guy just like that. Like it, it's, I think that's why we don't see this sort of stuff very often. Like it's one thing for you to fire the coach or fire the GM and then kind of bring in the right hand man who's been there the entire time and sort of knows how things are going and, and how everything's operating. But to just bring in a guy out of the blue who hasn't interacted with the team at all is like that seems like there's going to be quite a bit of an adjustment period. Not that you know, I think Claude Julien has been doing this job for such a long time and he's so well established that I'm sure he'll fit in seamlessly but I think that that sort of just kind of explains why we don't see it that often I think that um, you know if you're the Montreal Canadiens and one of the top five coaches in the NHL becomes available and he speaks French Mm -hmm. I mean you really have to move I mean it really forces you to answer the question are you committed to your coach Right. And, and that's what that's what faced Mark Bergman. How committed am I to this coach? Knowing that with a phone call, I can get Claude Julien. Yeah. How committed am I to to um, uh, to Michelle Therrien? I was committed enough to him last year that it cost us P.K. Subban. Hmm. Am I willing to be committed to him enough 
that we would pass up a shot at Claude Julian. Now, the, the interesting thing about Julian too is, I mean, he's not—he's not a you know one point two million dollar coach. He's three plus, right? Like he's in the big boy league, right? Like he's in you know Joel Quenville territory here. Mm-hmm. He's ma- he's making money, so. I think you have to temper expect temper expectations as to where he was going to land based on what his compensation was going to be. You know, the first team that popped up were the Florida Panthers. And the Florida Panthers were unprepared a couple of years ago to pay Dan Bilesma $2 million. There's no way they're going to pay Claude Julien a million plus north of that. Right. Um, is would would Vegas have done it? You know, could could that could that have worked? I mean, you wait to the end of the season. Montreal had a moment of opportunity to grab a top five coach who speaks French in the NHL, and they did it. And uh, I'm with you. I, it's a difficult decision. <clears throat> it doesn't sit well considering how many times you've you've been very public about defending Michelle Therrien. It's a personal relationship uh, that the two have as well. I mean, you could tell at the media availability today just how strained Mark Bergevin was over this decision. It's not an easy one, but that's that's a shark in the water move. Like that is just like that is ruthless business. Right. We have a shot at Claude Julien. We're going to do it. Sorry. And and I think Elian Friedman reported that you know a couple other teams had at least inquired with the Bruins about. Claude Julien. So I, I do think it was one of those things where the Habs just kind of needed to make the decision. And I think it was a pretty obvious one. And, and at that point, they just kind of had to do it. It's like a unique opportunity here where if they kind of waited around, saw how the rest of the season played out and then tried to do it this summer, like Julien probably would not have been available anymore. Yeah, no. And yet you have, I mean, dude, it's one week, yeah. right? I mean, one week and now I don't know what happened in the play in the, uh, the players meeting with, uh, with, uh, with Mark Bergevin. With the leadership meeting, I I don't know, so I can't speak to it. But it does seem a little bit curious that you know you have a meeting between the general manager and the leadership group, and then next thing you know, the head coach is getting the punt, and in comes Claude Julien. If you're if you're the Bruins, like you're looking at this, and uh, you get rid of Claude Julien and whatever, like it, it's been a week or so now, and you kind of make your peace that you're moving on with Butch Cassidy, and then all of a sudden, like your most bitter rival just makes him the third highest paid coach in the league, and everyone's praising them for what a great get it was for them, and you're just like probably just watching this news, just like, oh my god, what have we done? Like I can't imagine, like well, if Cam Neely has Twitter, he's like scrolling through it right now, just like, <laughs> holding on to his head so nervously. Yeah, you know. It- it's it's funny too because I mean you know as well and I know a lot, plenty of Boston Bruins fans. I think we all know a bunch of Boston. I don't know that any. I don't know that I know many Boston Bruins fans that will say the Bruins' problems was that of coaching versus composition. Mm-hmm. Now you can make the argument that okay, you know, ten years, one run, I get it. It's time for a new voice and, and time to move on. I, I I suppose, but I don't think anyone looked at this Boston Bruins team and said that Claude Julien was the problem. Yeah. Right, I, I, I really don't. I, I have I have a, a hard time believing that. The interesting thing about uh, Julian with the Montreal Canadiens to me, with any new coach, right? Like you look at who's going to get the uptick. Okay, so like which players all of a sudden, boom, are out of the doghouse and feel like they're playing with a new lease on life. With um, with the Islanders, that's Ryan Strom. Like the minute that Jack Capuano was fired and Doug Wade took over behind the bench, all of a sudden, boom. Ryan Strom explodes and like that's the Ryan Strom you know we thought the Islanders were getting so many years ago when they drafted him fifth overall boom all of a sudden he pops you wonder who that player or those players are going to be on the Montreal Canadiens and I keep coming back to the goaltender mm-hmm. you know I, I don't want to make too much out of you know the stare heard around the NHL world when when he got the hook and yeah you know, I get 
the one thing that Claude Julien doesn't do is he doesn't get cute with his goalies. He doesn't mess around. Like, can you think off the top of your head any time we said, wow, what's Julian doing with Tim Thomas? Like, right. ooh, man, that's a bad move with Tuka Rask. What is he doing? It, it's almost as if, you know, he's just, at, you know, completely hands off to the point where, you know, he says to himself, I don't know. They're goalies. Let the goalie coach figure it out. I'm not going to get cute with this guy. Right. I'm not going to mess around with them. He kind of lets leaves goaltenders on their own. It's kind of been his MO. So I, I wonder if... I wonder if at the end of all of this, um, the big benefactor isn't Carey Price more than anybody else in that roster. I think I think Price and I think Alex Galchenyuk would be a fair one. Like I, I know that he scored thirty goals last year, and that's yeah. that's it's pretty good. It's like he's 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 already emerged. He's already had his breakout. As and, you know, at least he's on his path towards becoming a star in this league. But he, I know he's dealt with some injuries here and there this season. But like he seems like the guy. He keeps popping. It's it's weird. Like I think it's maybe just because it's Montreal. But like he keeps popping up in these rumors, and now it's this discussion about whether they trade him. For for Matt Duchesne and it's all this stuff and it's like Alex Kalchenyuk is 23 years old and he's very productive and you know he doesn't have the huge counting stats yet but if you watch him play like he's fantastic I don't see what the big concern with him is so I think that just kind of letting him play and do his thing would also benefit this team quite a bit yeah he's been false started more than anybody else in the Montreal Canadiens I mean it wasn't that long ago that you know they insisted uh, that Lars Eller play on that line almost to hold his hand for the big boy moments right oh it's a big boy faceoff time let's get Lars Eller in there it's not going to be Galchenyuk taking this one like all those all those times it should have been you know moments where he takes you know a couple of, of steps in his maturation I mean he, he was false started because as much as they didn't love Eller and I still can't figure that one out as much as they didn't love Eller they weren't prepared to take him away from Galchenyuk who was sort of Eller was sort of shepherding him through his you know the season where they kind of they kind of said they were committed to making him a centerman right. and and were for a little bit and then they would back off like, I feel bad for the guy like I, I really do because he's been false started more than anybody else in the Montreal Canadiens and you're right maybe at the end of all this if they decide to keep him and he doesn't become uh, trade bait and I still do think that Montreal is big game hunting more than any other Canadian team they are looking for a big trade at deadline you know I, I wonder too if, if he becomes a benefactor if they just finally say you are an offensive leap to know has been very good you are the number one center for the Montreal Canadiens. You are going there, and we are leaving you there. Yeah, because that's where that's where you're going to be. Yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, I'm I'm very curious to see how he turns out. But so, just like kind of getting away from the Habs themselves, though, just kind of speaking about the coaching position itself. Like I was, I just pulled up the list of um, sort of how long each co- each coach has been tenured with their team right now, and there's three guys on this list that were with their team at the start of the 2012-2013 season. Like, that's 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 pretty mind-blowing to me. I mean, you have Quenville, Tippett, and Daryl Sutter, and everyone else started sometime right in, in the 2013-2014 season. Like, it just that kind of seems crazy to me. And it, it, there's so much fluidity with this position. And that's why I always shudder when a team gives a guy, I understand you have to uh, buy some goodwill with the, with the locker room and kind of show them that the coach is going to be around and actually has a strong voice. But, like, when they start handing out extensions before the – initial contract is even done like it that pretty much never winds up working out yeah it's um you see i'm very much of the mind that there's only a handful of great coaches in the nhl and then there's just sort of everybody else yeah like when when you look at the the way the game is played i mean there are minor sort of you know details um 
that that each coach brings to the game. But generally, we're all kind of watching the same style of game here. You know, in in 2017, like realistically, there's what like three different ways to play the game right now. There are minor tweaks to the system and all that. You know, Hitchcock before he got blown out was doing man to man in the defensive zone. First thing Yo did was say, "Screw that, we're playing zone." All of a sudden, Jake Allen um, can stop pucks once again because when defenseman or anyone misses an assignment, it's not a one on one battle with the goaltender. But I'm, I'm still very much of the mind that there is a sort of a sort of base level for all the coaches in the NHL, and only a couple of them rise above it. You know, Joel Quenville is certainly one of those coaches. Um, Mike Babcock is one of those coaches as well. Um, but I guess you could say the Claude Julian, you probably throw him into that equation as well. But there really aren't that many great ones. Right. And I think I think if you go and you look in, in, at the history of the NHL, um, even in the six-team the, the era as well, um, they're great because they're legends, but are they great because they're great coaches? It's always a, always a question that I ask about it. And I look in the NHL now and I say, there's a lot of good coaches and maybe a handful of great ones. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Yeah. And it's a 30-team thir- league. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, when, I, when I look at a situation like this, you mentioned how Mike Yo takes the job and all of a sudden makes like a fundamental shift to the system they're playing. I'm always fascinated when the right-hand man that's been there the entire time as sort of an assistant or whatever, an advisor, gets the job and just completely changes something. Like It just gets me thinking like the entire time, was he like... What kind of advice was he giving the the incumbent coach? Like, it just like what was Mike Yo telling Ken Hitchcock that he thinks they should have been playing a different way, or was he just going along with yeah. him because he was working under him? Like, we saw that a, a great example for that with me is is Mike Sullivan, for example, and he spent all those years working under John Tortorella, and you just kind of figured that well, these two guys are linked together, they must have share similar philosophies or coaching styles, and then he comes to Pittsburgh and he's just this breath of fresh air, just doing things completely differently that we would never would have necessarily expected him to and it's like i'm just kind of fascinated about how that can how we we never really know we just kind of link them together just because they are working together but they might have totally different philosophies and stuff and depending on the situation they're in i mean you look at mike sullivan i mean what's the one thing that mike sullivan did when he took over with the pittsburgh penguins he said okay i've got a bunch of guys that can fly i got a bunch of guys that like having the puck on their stick there's going to be a number of guys on this team that i'm going to allow to cheat mm-hmm. right and there, there, there's a handful guys that don't have to curl back when the puck goes in back into the zone right i mean you look at in in st louis i mean you look at vlad tarasenko right when there's a shot from the point in the defensive zone he's going yep. he's he's leaving right and he's anticipating that that is going to be blocked stopped picked off and i want to step on the defense it's right out of the pages of pavel Bure. Yep. Does does it does it all the time? You look at uh, what Mike Sullivan did with the Pittsburgh Penguins. A couple of different things. First one is guys like Kessel, guys like Crosby, guys like Haglin, guys that can move. They're allowed to leave the zone early. You know, which is for a lot of coaches that's major no no, right? Because defense is something that's very very coachable. Offense generally isn't. Cheating is something that coaches don't like. And player players cheating is something that coaches don't like on their resume. Oh, look at this team. Look how undisciplined. Look at these guys leaving the zone early. Man, Sullivan's got to get these guys under control. No, that was done deliberately. Yep. Like he let those guys. And the other one, which is all over the NHL, maybe no team did it better than Mike Babcock's Detroit Red Wings. And now, to some extent, well, maybe a lot, large extent, uh, Mike Babcock's Toronto Maple Leafs. Skating interference. Mm. 
you know, the, the interference where you're, where you're moving your feet and you're just shading a guy. It is rampant in the NHL. Babcock took it to a whole new level. And if you look at what the Pittsburgh Penguins were able to do against the San Jose Sharks last year, like we were all amazed that, you know, Brian Dumoulin looked like he was Paul Coffey getting the puck out. Right. right? Holy smokes. Right? This is amazing. Yeah. Ben Lovejoy, you had this in your game? Oh. Well, it's because that, that neutral zone skating interference. We we're all saying, like, where's this, you know, big, huge, heavy San Jose forecheck? Well, they couldn't get through the neutral zone. If you go back and watch what Pittsburgh did, it's and it's it's nothing new. It's been in the game for a while. This idea of skating interference uh, and it's very passive, it's very casual, but it slows you down and almost brings you to a stop in your tracks. Is it illegal? Uh, you can stretch, I suppose. <laughs> right. But I mean, it's one it's one of those it's one of those things that. It's in the game, and it's not obvious unless you really pay attention. Like face-offs. Okay, so I've, my latest thing now that I can't stop looking at, that I can't stop watching, I was talking to an NHL player a couple weeks ago who brought it up, and now that he mentioned it, I can't stop seeing it on every single face-off, the way players use their feet to win draws. Yeah. It is – now, there's no rule against it, right? I think there will be one day. I know I talked to one American Hockey League coach – uh, just to sort of confirm, like, is this happening in the American League too? And he said, it's happening so much that I'm going to raise this as an issue and ask that we create a rule about it. The way players use their feet to win draws, they'll, they'll cut off the circle by, by backing up their stick with their skate as the draw is coming, and they'll start turning even before the puck is dropped. So even before the puck hits the ice, you've already cut out the circle. And now that I've said it, Dimitri, when you watch hockey tonight, you are going to see this everywhere and you'll become obsessed about it because i am i can't stop seeing it because it's everywhere but it's been hiding in plain view and it was only until one nhl player pointed out to me it's funny and i put it out on twitter on sunday and right away i had one player text me and one player direct message me saying dude everybody does this it's driving us nuts they need to come up with a route now of course he's the same centerman are probably doing it themselves but they're all on the same page this is the new way of cheating. It's a new way of, of winning draws. Is it against the rule book? No. But yeah. then there is really you know, this passive skating interference. Sorry to go off on a tangent there. Sorry. Have, I, have I had this discussion with you about why uh, why ho- hockey media people on TV are so uh, enamored with the idea of talking about face-offs all the time during, ho- during game broadcasts? Um, I'm not sure if it was on the podcast or if it was just you know over a burrito in Vancouver, but... Mm. Let's do it. It's it's. I just don't. It's 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 crazy. I thought we'd already went through this and we'd already settled it a few years ago. I remember you had you had me on Merrick Wersuszynski and we talked about this. We talked it through how it's not nearly as important as you think and all this stuff. And it feels like it really died down. And then this year, for whatever reason, it's it's popped back up again as like a major talking point for people. It's like you can't watch a, a game these days without at least one or two like. Segments devoted to it and graphics showing what's going on with the faceoffs and it's like I don't know I just it's it seems like we we've we've discussed on the show how um, you only have a limited amount of time during these broadcasts to actually get your point across and and that makes yep. it tough but. Yep. If you, that's not necessarily, you know, a justification for then just using that time to talk about something that actually doesn't mean anything. Like you may as well try and sneak something useful into it. If it results in a scoring chance almost immediately, it it means something. Mm. But if it doesn't, then it's just part of a long sequence. Yeah. Right. And like, I, it, listen, trust me, it took me a while to come around to that too. 
Like, it took it took me uh, because I'm like, Dimitri, like you know me, but I'm dumb. Like, it took me uh, it took me a while to, to get my head around around thinking like that, and it was through conversations with with people like you uh, and with other friends that are of the same mind. Um, and I drive people nuts at the shop now when they talk about face offs, and I just sort of shrug it off and say, well. A board battle is a face-off for a winger. Where's that stat? Um, and it's like, oh, well, that's just in the middle of play. Well, so, well face-off is just something that begins a sequence of play and generally has nothing to do with a goal. Right. Generally. Sometimes it does. Um, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about the these. There's two assistant general managers, now now former assistant general managers that I know, that ran a, uh, that ran a program that ran a, um, what's the lack of a better term, not a, a survey or did a, did a study. That's the word I'm looking okay. for. Okay, nope. Okay, so they ran a study one year. Um, these are two now ex-assistant general managers in the NHL. Um, they ran a study about face-offs, offensive zone face-offs on the power play. Mm-hmm. And whether it was advantageous to win the draw or lose the draw by way of creating scoring chances. And overwhelmingly, Dimitri, mm-hmm. It is advantageous for a centerman in the offensive zone on the power play to lose a face-off. And here's why. When you lose a draw, the puck goes back. If you can have a forecheck fast enough to get on the defenseman that has the puck, you force a turnover around the net, and automatically you're in a scoring position. If you win the draw, however, the puck goes generally back to the point, and how many bodies line up in between that puck and the goaltender? Five, six, it's almost nearly impossible to turn that into a scoring chance. But it's much easier to turn a lost face-off into a scoring chance when you're on the, when you're on the power play right. because the turnover occurs around the net. Ryan Getzlaff does this still to this day all the time in Anaheim. We saw Austin Matthews do this in the Toronto-Ottawa game a few weeks ago. It is a tactic. But when you start talking about creativity with face-offs, sometimes people get, in my industry, get a little bit weird because they like to think that if you're winning the draw, you're doing good because it's a very quantifiable event. Mm-hmm. You can you can see it, right? And everybody understands it. Oh, they won the draw. That's a good thing. And generally, winning a draw and getting possession is a good thing. But it doesn't always lead to scoring chances. And it is just the beginning of I – mean, I'm preaching to the choir here on your podcast. It's just the beginning of what turns into a long sequence. Yes. That's all. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a puck battle. Um, yeah, it, it, I understand just from a human element. Like it's it's kind of an easy thing if it's such a clean uh, face-off that results in a goal against or something like that. You can kind of point to yeah. it and, and explain it. And like that's why people love stuff like giveaways for defensemen, right? Because it's like if you see a giveaway from a defenseman, you can like very easily – kind of point to someone who's to blame for it but ultimately over the long haul like we yeah. know that if you have a lot of giveaways it generally just means that you have the puck on your stick a lot and that's a good thing so yeah well here's here's something to consider as well i'm going to get a little marshall marshall mcluhan uh ask on you here a little yeah, bit here's the thing to consider as well um during a hockey broadcast things are happening really quickly and action is happening really quickly you have to describe it fast on the radio and you have to describe it really really quickly on television as well you don't have the luxury and this is the this is the the limit right this is the, the the limit of you know how the game is played itself and what you're able to say in those brief spaces in between Pass to the point, shot on net, there's a whistle, face off to the right of of Carey Price. 
the game moves so fast, you don't have a lot of time during the game to explain concepts like that. Like when you're watching a game, the analyst generally has only a few seconds to make a point. And if you need to sit there and explain why face-off stats aren't important, you're going to miss things in the game. The play-by-play guy is not going to be able to do his job of the play-by-play. Now, you can make the argument that, well, that should perhaps be the studio's job. And you're right there. Um, That should be what I think a good studio show does Mm. is here's the game and here are things that went, you know, that you perhaps you didn't see while you were watching the game because we can't all follow 10 people on the ice at the exact same time. And that's a good point. But while the game is on, it's it's tough to get in anything that's that's more than here's his shooting percentage. Here's his face off percentage. Oh, he's seven for nine so far this period. He's doing really well. I still chalk it up to the limit of how fast – like if hockey were played at a baseball speed mm-hmm. and a baseball pace, right. then I think you could, but it's not. But how many people – and listen, I might be just the wrong demographic here. Like I'm sure that there's uh, kind of older people at home that do prefer this, but like how many people – watch the game and just like get upset if the if the play-by-play guy isn't calling the exact action like for the entire time like i'm perfectly cool if they're just having a conversation about something relevant and not necessarily you know if it's just like the other team's just dumping the puck into the zone like or, or whatever's happening like you can kind of go give me a little anecdote without necessarily just breaking down every single play as it's happening like i'm, I'm perfectly cool with that too I've always maintained, I think you and I have talked about this before, I've always maintained, I've made this pitch before uh, to various places where I've worked where they do uh, uh, they do uh, hockey broadcast mm-hmm. of NHL games, that there should be two streams. Uh, one, for people who just want the basics, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you want, uh, you know, Henrik to Daniel, you know, back to Edler, feeds it to Tanev, shoots, he scores. Like, for people that just want that, great. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and, and nothing wrong with that, and that's good. And I think there should also be an alternative broadcast of every single game, which is a roundtable discussion, which can use you know a jumping off point some things that happen in that game. But consider yourself. Consider when you're when you're when you're around a, a bunch of buddies and you're watching the game. Are you following the play and calling the play, or are you having a conversation about hockey and every now and then a goal happens yeah. or a hit happens or some event sparks you that happens? But it's a, it's a conversation around the game that is consistently interesting when the game is not. Right. Like, there going to be long stretches of games that aren't interesting. It's at those moments you don't need, I don't think. You don't need as a viewer slash listener, you don't need all the janitorial work at that point. You don't need the tic-tac-toe and tell me all the names of the players that are touching the puck. You don't need that. You need a conversation. I'd be really curious and really interested in hearing uh, an alternative feed, which is just a roundtable discussion, maybe of the two teams that are involved in the game, but the conversation has nothing to do with the game other than, Oh, we have a goal who got that one. And that turns into another discussion based on whomever scored or how we scored it. Yeah. No, I'm with so you. It's, a, it's, it's a hockey conversation while the game is going on. I'm with you hundred percent. I think the other thing we need, and if there's one thing you and I do 
during our time with Roger Sportsnet to improve the product. Can it please be getting uh, the Sportsnet broadcast to have a shot counter, a running one, sh- a running shot counter during the game? Because uh, a think, shot I, counter, yeah, just like you know how if you're watching like a Fox Sports broadcast yep. during a game, yep. it says like the time, uh, the time, yeah, 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 it says yeah, the score, yeah, they and then that, just, they? Yeah, yeah. just beside it easily just says how many shots each team each team has. And I think that's it. Doesn't even need to be something as nerdy as shot attempts. Like I think just shots on goal, which everyone recognizes as being an important useful thing uh it's just really nice to be able especially like you know it's one thing if you're just watching the entire game you kind of have a feel for it but like for someone like like you or i if we're sitting at home and there's 10 games on and you're flipping back and forth between games it's a really useful thing for you to kind of captivate you and catch your attention to what's happening in that game let me ask you this question because i go back and forth on it Hmm. how busy how busy do you want your screen when you watch hockey like how clean do you want it or how busy do you want it I mean, generally cleaner than not, but like, I mean, they're showing, they're like pulling up graphics of like random stuff, like, oh, over the past two weeks in home games, this player is averaging this time on ice. It's like, okay, do I, did I really need to know that? Like, I feel like that was like a completely yeah. irrelevant nugget. I feel like you could have shown me something more useful there. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, well, I mean, the, to me, Beavis and Butthead was some of the best television I've ever seen. Right, it's two guys sitting on the couch talking about what they what they see on television. It's it's, it's pretty simple. Um, that and pop up video, and I think that you know those two programs influence <laughs> influence people more more than they want to admit. Right, it's uh, opinion and information, and I think they're looking for the that that perfect balance or that perfect marriage of it in in sports. Certainly, they're trying to find it in hockey as well. I think the <clears throat> the inch the, the 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 challenging thing is. When you're programming for hockey or any sport, we're just going to take hockey because it's, it's the topic of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not really, and you see this on Hockey Night in Canada, maybe more so on you know regional games or even you know national nights like Wednesdays. You're not you're not broadcasting to a demographic. You're broadcasting to a family reunion. Right. You know, it's not like a tight hey, 2554 demo that you're broadcasting to. You're broadcasting to, you know, a, a five-year-old to an 85-year-old. How do you find common ground with interesting information for all of them? Right. That's tough, man. I, I will consider, because listen, I understand that there's a lot of empty calorie stuff that goes on the screen. I, I agree. But then I always have to catch myself and say, well, would 12-year-old me feel the same way? You know, would eight-year-old me feel the same way? Would 25-year-old me feel the same way? And will 65-year-old me feel the same way? I don't know the answer to that. Well, how long do you think it's going to take for us before, you know, we have the capabilities or the resources to uh, be running multiple versions of the same broadcast, as you mentioned earlier? I would love it. I, I'm, 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 put it this way, if there were money attached to it, it would happen tomorrow. Hmm. Right. All it would, would take is, you know, some, someone, someone to sponsor it and, and get behind it. Um, I, you know, now uh, at Sportsnet, they're getting into, into virtual reality, you know, broadcasting you know, VR games. Yeah. And, you know, that's that that's another a whole other level. Um, so I would like to be, I, to be honest with you, Dimitri, I thought we'd already be there by now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I can recall, like even, you know, like five or six years ago saying, man, by the time 2017 rolls around, you're going to be able to, you know, you'll be your own director and you'll choose all your angles and all the information you need will all be personalized and it's whatever you want. And I kind of, I kind of thought we'd have, we'd have, we'd have been there by now. But the one thing that we have learned about hockey audiences, by the way, 
Uh, I can't speak so much stateside, but in Canada, they don't like things to change. Yeah. You know, they like it the way – because I, I whether it's – I mean, how many times do you get the eyeballs when someone says, oh, analytics or mm. fancy stuff, right? you get the eyeball rolling. Right. I would – I'd really be curious to find out what was the reaction in the late 60s when plus minus was introduced to the audience? Was it the same reaction? Yeah. This is way too complicated. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> hang on. I don't understand. Plus, what, what? Huh? Explain this to me. I don't get this. But then you take it even further back and you go to some of the original game sheets, uh, the NHL. I think the first ones they kept uh, were 1918 or 1919. And on the game sheet itself, you know, there's a message from would have been probably Frank Calder, uh, then president, encouraging the official scorer to include assists on every goal. So you could make the argument then, too, that assists were the first analytic, because I'm sure there are people saying, well, what is the guy that passed him the puck? What does that have to do with the goal? He didn't score the goal. Right. But really, it's talking about something that happened around the event that wasn't the event, but influenced the event. Yeah. Well, I'd like to speak to the person that uh, invented the secondary assist because uh, he's uh, he's caused us a lot of pain here. (laughs) You know, funny. I was having this conversation with, oh, who was I talking to? Oh, I think it was Colby. I think it was Armstrong. Mm. Uh, we were sitting around watching a game, and he said, you know it would be really cool? I said, what's that, Colb? I hope it was Colby, because I don't want to miss Colb. I said, what's that? He said, it would be really cool if at the end of a game, or even at the end of a period, you could have someone go back and look at the play and determine who really assisted on the goal. Because to your point, it's not always just you know the person that taps it over to the guy for the you know for the uh, the one timer that scores that really set up that play. Sometimes it's a clever pick. Sometimes it's an outlet pass. Sometimes it's breaking things up at the far blue line. He said that would be. I said, well, it'd be all subjective because everyone, no two people look at the exact same sequence, the exact same way. Right. But I think he's on to. I think that I think there's. I don't know what it is, but I think there's some there there. I just don't know how you would articulate it or frame it. But I know that just touches probably doesn't do you know proper uh, proper assists any real service right yeah like the other day when uh when chris kelly scored a goal from his own bench because uh yuri hoodler did a drop pass into his own net yeah man how bad did you feel for hoodler at that point just came Uh, back just just came back into the lineup like two days before fires it back it was a great summation of this entire dallas star season honestly it's uh it's well and you know and you know what question mark well, and you know what the thing about it too, and this is, I know this is a bone of contention for a lot of people that don't like the play, but I mean, it's Lindy Ruff as the coach and you know, what was the play he was making? He was doing the ladder play, which has always been a hallmark of Lindy Ruff. I mean, he used that ladder play he did with the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, when there was Drury and Briere and Campbell, Palmonville, like that ladder play, I mean, that's how they got the zone. Like every single time they were, they weren't the first to do it. I mean, the Soviets did the ladder play, you know, years and years for years to get zone. That was, that was their play. I'm not sure if it was Tarasov or it was someone afterwards, but that's a Soviet play. And Lindy Ruff was the first one to really popularize it, I think, in the NHL. And he does it with Dallas too. A lot of coaches do ladder play now, but that's what that was. Like it was the Dallas Stars getting burned on a signature Lindy Ruff play, the ladder play in your own net. Yeah, it was brutal, brutal. Um, all right, 
you have to go in a few minutes here, so I have a couple of uh, rapid fire things that I want us to get to, and then and then I'll let you go. Okay, let's um, do it, man. So where are you where are you at with the bye week? Because uh, teams right now are I think like I saw three and nine or something coming out of it, and uh, yeah. you know like the Flames most recently just got absolutely smoked by the Coyotes in their own home rink, and yep. I think opinion is sort of split, but I feel like most people are leaning towards it being an unsuccessful venture so far. Where are you at with it? I like it. And like here's it. what I like. And by the way, there's nine teams this week on their bye. Yeah. I think there's only like 44 games in the league this week, something like that. It's pretty mm-hmm. late. Um, here's why I like it. I like anything that gets players away from coaches. You know, and, you know, the, the records are abysmal. You're right. I, th- I think it is three, three, is it three, three, nine and one or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Or yeah, it's, it's really bad. But goal scoring is up. There's probably a number of reasons for it. And I think one of them is the bye week. I mean, what do we keep hearing coaches saying now? Oh, I don't get enough time to work with these guys. Well, good. (laughs) Good. Because we're done with the robots. We're done with table hockey. We're done with this is what you did. No, no, no. Anytime you can get coaches away for players, the game benefits. Uh, Coaches don't like the bye week. Why? Because they can't work with their players and they come back generally flat. Of course, they're not going to like it. But goal scoring has gone up this year for the first time since I think it was 2009 um, at, a, at, a, at a pretty increased clip, too. So I like it just because it produces sloppier play. And I think this is a game that needs sloppier play and less coaching. So for that reason, I'm all in on the buy. I just wonder if it'd be better off just maybe doing it like one division just takes it all off at a time or something like that. I feel like it's kind of been... Uh a bit random and a bit wonky. Just as it, it's caused like a weird schedule just because teams, it's kind of all over the place a little bit. Yeah. As, as, to me, as long as everything, cause I know like there was times where like, you know, the Maple Leafs had five games in hand on the Boston Bruins. You see, it's like, how do you have a schedule like this? <laughs> right. But to me, as long as everybody is sort of within one or two games of each other, at trade deadline, then I think the schedule is fair. Like if you have one team that's like, you know, five has played five games less than everybody else at trade deadline. Then I think the schedule is not doing doing the game a service. But as long as everybody has an accurate representation of what their team is at trade deadline, and they've all sort of played within one or two games of each other, the exact same amount of games, then I'm okay with it. It does look weird sometimes when you look at the uh, when you look at the standings and you see like. How's this team played six more games than everybody? How does how does that work? I know it looks kind of bizarre, but for me, as long as everything matches up, sort of matches up at trade deadline, I'm cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the deadline, um, what do you do? You think we're gonna have a, a, another quiet one like we had last year, or do you think that the expansion draft actually uh, just the looming possibilities and how some teams have guys they can keep and some teams don't have enough guys? Like, do you think that's gonna create some uh, unique moves, or do you think it's just gonna be kind of status quo? I think there'll be. I mean, we've already seen some unique moves, right? I mean, uh, okay. Calgary pick, Calgary picks up Thomas McCollum. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Calgary picked up Thomas McCollum? Exposing expansion draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Maple Leafs claim Alexei Marchenko. Why do you think the Maple Leafs claim Alexei Marchenko? Someone you can expose to the expansion draft. Let me so let, I, let I, me re- I, let me rephrase it. Moves of okay. any significance. Do I think we? I, I think we will see moves of, but I, I just don't know that it happens on March first. Mm. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, the, the, the bane of our existence at SportsCenter and TSN as well, because we got, you know, 10 hours of programming to fill <laughs> on March 1st. Yep. Um, so gimmick it up, boys. Um, it's I see big players moving. I mean, listen, man, Colorado, psh, whatever you want, it, it's yours. 
Um, you know, Arizona will be certainly dealing as well. I think, you know, Dallas is, is pretty close to just saying, okay, who wants Patrick Sharp? Um, so I, I think there will be players that move. I just don't know that they all get done on March 1st because a lot of general managers now just aren't leaving it to the very last moment. Like when you have the deal, do it and, and and get it done. I mean, the Hurricanes did this in 206. So the first ones who really sort of, they made all their moves before. I know it was a freak year and everyone had to relearn the game. Um, but afterwards, you know, teams just stopped waiting until a trade deadline to make all their moves. So I think there'll be moves. Um, for my sake, selfishly, I hope that they're all done on March 1st. So I'll be part of the um, the, the Sportsnet trade deadline coverage. Mm. Um, but I have a feeling there'll be, uh, there'll be some pretty big fish that are gone before March 1. Yeah. What, do, what, do you th- what do you think? It's tough, man. Like I, I, the optimist in me looks at it, and I see so many interesting sort of things that can happen and potentially domino effect. But then I'm reminded that it is the NHL and it's super conservative, and I feel like it. it we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment if we if we get too carried away with it. But like, I definitely see some stuff that should happen that uh, would be would make for a very interesting day. I just what I'm, the, sure. the, I, I'm not sure if I floated this on your podcast last year, but the, the drum that I've been beating for a long time is really tr- turn trade deadline into an event, you know, and turn it into an event like the draft. Have an arena with 31 tables because to get to get juices going, you need all the guys in the same spot, you know, 31 tables. Right yep. there, they start at eight o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning. You know, cover it, cover it like the draft. You're just there, just do a show, and then when you, know, you see the conversation, just to see the conversations, right? Right. Like, oh man, you know, Ron Hextall is talking to Kevin Cheveldayoff. Yep. And then that turns like it's inform. It's it's just adding another layer of information that, and if it's a simple conversation, even just the visual of watching two general managers talk to each other on trade deadline day is one that I think is pretty grippy and has some fly paper for, for hockey fans and for viewers. All general managers, 30 tables, one arena, and promote it as trade deadline day, like proper trade, and turn it into a TV event. Yeah, but I think if if you use Kevin Cheveldayoff as the example there, people aren't going to get too excited because uh, a, tra- a trade's <laughs> okay. probably not right. going to happen. Okay, it's uh, Ron Hextall and Dean Lombardi, uh, the old old, old <laughs> running mates, in Philadelphia, old running mates in in, uh, in Philadelphia and Los Angeles, getting back together again. There we go. Um, one final thing, I have a. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it, but I'm getting uh, Kelly Rudy on the show next week. Uh, we're gonna have a, hopefully amazing. a fun chat about goaltending. I've heard he's uh, amazing. an amazing, amazing gentleman and such a nice guy. Um, do you have any? Um, and do you have any one thing I, I, I should ask him while I have his ear? Or I guess you talk to him all the time, so it's not a yeah. Big thing, but. Kelly Kelly is one of the more honestly. Kelly is one of the most genuine, sincere, nicest guys that you will meet in the industry, and he's he's. From a TV point of view, the guy is so watchable because he looks so comfortable. Mm-hmm. I remember asking him once because you know I, we've just known you know Kelly from you know playing with the Los Angeles Kings um, and playing with the Islanders and the Sharks as well to making a transition that seemed really seamless into TV, right? Because he's always God, he's always been great, he always delivers. I remember asking him once, like, how long did it take you to to feel comfortable? And I expect him to say like, ah, uh, maybe a season and a half. He told me ten years. Like what? Because the guy is like, he's, he's so comfortable, so easy. And you know, when someone's comfortable when they're, when they're not shy about silence, right? And that's, that's a great thing in a broadcast when you're comfortable enough to say nothing and pause, 
then you know you're comfy. And and that's that's Kelly Rudy. He is a genuine um, guy with a with a big heart, and he's really thoughtful. Um, and he cares a ton. And just to hear him talk about Patrick Marlowe was interesting, mm. right? Because when he was with the San Jose Sharks, Patrick Marlowe was a rookie, and him and his wife Donna took in Patrick Marlowe in his rookie season. And even just now to hear him talk about Patrick Marlowe is 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 pretty fascinating. But uh, that'll be a great conversation because he's a he's a real interesting guy with you know great stories of that great run with the Los Angeles Kings, um, you know being traded. From the uh, from the Islanders to the to the to the Los Angeles Kings, in I believe is probably the only all medicine hat Tigers trade because Kelly played for the Tigers. He was traded for uh, who was a Wayne McBean who was a uh, Tiger and Mark Fitzpatrick who was also a Tiger. So all three people in the deal all played for the medicine hat Tigers. That has to be a a, a league record or at least a unique piece of trivia. Um, you'll love Kelly. Honestly, you're gonna have a you have a you have a great conversation. I know I'm gushing like I'm like he invented oxygen, but uh, I'm a <laughs> I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I got nothing but respect uh, for the guy, and I uh, I can't wait to to download that podcast, Dimitri. That was a that was that was the most Jeff Merrick way to end a podcast. Uh, talking about how it was an all medicine hat trade. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a nugget that I feel like you were the only person that would even, Sorry, even think of and acknowledge. So that's I, I had to get had to get my Pierre McGuire on a little bit there you for to. you. Yeah, um, do you want to do you want to plug anything before we get out of here? Where can I, uh, where can people find you? What are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm living on Twitter these days, uh, doing Hockey Central, the 6.30 show. It's 6.30 Eastern, Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays, sort of pop up on weekends, uh, doing various regional games as well, doing our uh, trade deadline coverage as well, um, which I guess Ilya Brzezgalov spoiled the big surprise today by announcing on Twitter that he'll be part of it. Mm. <laughs> so that's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. And, uh, that's a, yeah, that's a big one for us. Hope everyone... Uh, Digs what we uh, what we have planned. Um, I'm not in a position to give anyway any details of what I'm doing yet, but um, I think you'll enjoy the room and the company. The room that I'm in and the company that I'm with. We'll leave it at that. I have no idea. Should, should I, be a lot of fun. I have no should no doubt that we will, man. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on there and uh, keep fighting the good fight, and we'll chat soon. Okay. Thanks, bud. Always a pleasure. Right. I, no, I, did, I didn't host it. Like I was I was a good boy this time, right? Yeah. No, you did great. I think that was a lot okay. of fun. Let's uh, let's do it again soon. Okay. Thanks, okay. pal. Talk soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.